Father, we are incredibly thankful uh, just for the opportunity to worship you, uh, to know that we can cry out to you, that you are a God who is seated on his throne, fully in control, but yet at the same time who hears every single voice. You hear every request, every petition. That you are engaged with everything that we are experiencing. Father, as we come to our passage this morning, would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our minds? We want to see you for who you are. And as you, we believe that you have called us to be all in, would we take that step towards you? Knowing that, Jesus, you were all in when you looked to the cross. And at the cross, you took on our sin. You died for us. But the story doesn't end there. You resurrected and now you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you continue to, to serve us and to love us. You pray for us by name. Lord, that should compel us to be all in in this life as we await the next. Holy Spirit, guide us, help us. Let the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our Redeemer. You are our King. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now in last week's sermon, we, where we explicitly looked at how the gospel changes our identity. If you weren't here and you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to visit the app and download it or listen to it. We looked at how the gospel changes our identity. That before we seek to venture into what we are called to do, we need to first understand who we are. Our identity shapes what and how we do things. We must be clear on this. Now some of you might be thinking, great, I was here last week, Epic sermon, absolutely loved it. Uh, now that we uh, understand our identity in Christ, can you please tell me what to do? Please tell me what to do. Because I'm an action person, right? Play me, coach. If you're like me, th those are the words that I would say. Put me on the field. Tell me what to do. But let's not off-ramp too quickly off this highway called identity. You see, if our positional standing is what we saw last week, and, I, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. If our positional standing is what we saw last week, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession, why is it that some days we don't feel like that? Why is it some days we, we don't live this way? Well, that's because we, though our positional standing is in heaven, our current reality is here on earth. And this earth is broken. It's tormented by sin and the devil. And it's in desperate need of a savior. We don't need to go too far to recognize that. Uh, just this weekend, as, as we hear about the, the killings, the, the, the killings in New, New Zealand, as we hear about the cyclone just off the coast of Mozambique, things are not as they should be. This world is broken, and it's in desperate need of a Savior, and that impacts our identity. We are tempted from every angle. 
and too often find ourselves yielding to the lies of the deceitful one. This makes us recognize very quickly that we are not perfect. Yes, my, my positional standing is what we saw last week, but, but, but my current reality here on earth as I navigate through the challenges of life makes me recognize that I am not perfect. You are not perfect. We are not perfect, but we are being made perfect by the perfect one. And this is what we call sanctification. Big term, but important for us to grasp and understand. This idea of being made perfect, sanctification. Sanctification simply means that we have been set apart. This is like what we saw last week. What Peter refers to as holy. So in our heavenly position, we are holy. While in our current earthly reality, we are being made holy. We are being set apart. We are being sanctified. Now, this, this is a really challenging kind of topic or, or theological uh, uh, nuance or nugget for us to understand. It, it really is. I wrestled quite a bit as I navigated through this text. And so, and so this Sunday is going to be one of those where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need your help. I know I, I joke and say, guys, you know, it'd be cool if you guys spoke back to me. And they, you know what they say, there's a little bit of truth in a joke. But, but this morning, I, I'm going to need you guys to engage just so that I understand that we're all on the same page. Because this stuff can get tricky. And you'll see it in a moment. It can get tricky. And so I just want to make sure that we're all in the same place and all heading in the same Direction, this idea of being sanctified, sanctification. T to try to make it clear, let's look in Philippians chapter 1. Paul tries to unpack this for us. In Philippians chapter 1, it'll be up on the screen. Paul writes, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my prayer. Now, look, I know Paul was Jewish and had a little bit of Roman in him, but sometimes when I read his letters, I'm convinced that he preached like a black man. I, I mean, look at the, the, these two verses literally are saying the same thing. He's just repeating himself. I, I love that about Paul, uh, but let's continue to read. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you, that he who started a good work in you, this idea of being declared holy, this, this is where, where salvation comes into play, conversion, this is when you cross the line of faith. It's when Jesus says to you, I'm going to give you my righteousness and I will take your sin. It's what happened on the cross. That he who started a, a good work in, in, you, in you. Let me explain it this way. Melo, would you come up, up real quick? Stand here with me, brother. All right. So you're going to be you. I know it's challenging, but stay with me. And I'm going to be Christ. I felt like it was an easy choice between the two of us. So, so he who, who, who started a good work in you. And so at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit works in his heart. Christ comes in and he is changed. 
Jesus now hands him his identity document, this new identity in Christ. We, we don't have like a real one because you guys need to give so we can buy actual real <laughs> illustrations. No, he gives you a new identity, but it continues. Paul continues. He says, he who started a good work in you will carry it on. Will carry it on. Will carry it on. He is making him holy. He is sanctifying him. He is setting him apart. That's what sanctification means. You are being made. You are declared holy, right? You, are, you come to Christ and you are declared holy, but then you are being made holy. But it doesn't just continue on and on and on. No, Paul says it. says it will carry it on to completion. So, so there's an end date. There's an end date where he stands here and, and he is then declared eternally, declared, bro, declared. He is declared eternally holy on display for all to see. That is glorification. And so we start at salvation. You are declared holy, but then you're being made holy until that day where it is complete. You are being made more and more and more and more like Christ until Christ calls you home and then you are in glorification. Thanks, bro. You can sit. Y'all can give Melo a round of applause. <laughs> For literally playing himself. <laughs> that middle portion is what we call sanctification. The idea of being made holy. See, the process of sanctification, being set apart, being made holy, can also be communicated as being transformed. Being transformed. This is what we call spiritual transformation. This is the transforming work of the gospel. That if you are to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, if you are to be God's ambassadors in this world, if you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this city and beyond, if we want to see a world awakened to the wonder of God and his transcultural church, then we must see the transforming work of the gospel in our lives. We have to. Last week I spoke about the, the, the purpose of the series. We believe that, that God wants to do some amazing things as we look to year five, but we need to start the work here today in year three. And part of that work is us being all in for spiritual transformation. We have to. We have to be all in for spiritual transformation. Here's what Paul says in our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now it's deeply encouraging that Paul starts verse 18 by saying, We. Don't miss it. It's massively encouraging. Paul, who I think is a super Christian. Now, there's, there's no such thing. But I think he was just an amazing man of God. A legend. He decides to stand in solidarity with the messed up Corinthian church. 
And this church, friends, was seriously messed up. I mean, they had issues. And I'm talking serious issues. And yet Paul, the legend that he is, says, no, 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 we, we, we are being transformed. But to make the point clear that it's a we situation and not just a you situation, Paul says we all, we all, we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does this tell us? That we should make no exceptions where God does none. Don't try to play God. Not even in your heart. Because we can do that. We can be like, you know what? The folks on this side, they need the transforming work of the gospel. I mean, have you seen this section here, guys? I mean, we're, we're okay. We understand theology. We've got the doctrine down. I'm leading some Bible studies. I'm killing it wherever I am, sharing Jesus. So I'll show up on a Sunday, and every now and then I'll just kind of look over and see, yeah, are they listening? Are they listening? Because they really need it. We make no exceptions where God makes none. We all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The weakest and the newest Christian here today is experiencing, should be experiencing, ever-increasing transformation just as much as the one who's been walking with Jesus for 30 years. Ever-increasing transformation. See, under the Mosaic Covenant, which was the covenant, the promise, the agreement made between God and Moses, just one man was outwardly transformed. But under the New Covenant, this blessing is for everyone who looks to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We'll see that in a moment. But let me make it clear. I made it clear last week and I'll make it clear this week because it's in the text. This transformation must begin with rebirth. That if you want to see this ever-increasing transformation in your life, this, this spiritual growth, it must begin with rebirth. It must begin with you being declared holy. It begins at your conversion. Paul writes here, we all with unveiled face, with unveiled face, Face. Now, at first glance, this talk of unveiled or veiled faces can be a little bit confusing. And it was for me. I'll be honest, it was really challenging. I prayed and asked the Lord that he would, he would give us a, a text for, for this time as we think about this series. And so I landed on uh, this portion of Scripture and I began to study it. And I got here and I was like, what on earth is this unveiled face? What is happening here? I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just find another passage. Right? Because I know myself, if I had continued to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and not come out on the other side, I would have just gone, you know what, let me find some really cool concepts. Let me try to explain it, and it'll be all good. They'll love it. It'll be great. But, but I don't want to do that. I want to be faithful to the text. And so I was like, God, I, I have no idea what is happening here. What is it with this unveiled face? What is going on here? And then I remembered, when you're wrestling with a, a piece of Scripture... It's always helpful just to read the verses before or the verses after. Why? Because Scripture interprets Scripture. 
Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to commentary. Or you shouldn't go to great podcasts and pastors who preach on this. You should. It's good. But Scripture interprets Scripture. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, let me just go up a few verses to try to understand, to make sense of this unveiled face. Remember, Paul's trying to make the point that, that, Sal, that spiritual transformation begins with rebirth. So if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, I don't know if we have it. We do. Great. Paul writes, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. You guys confused? Good. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, this is the Old Testament for us, then they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It sheds a little bit of light, but not all the way. And so we would have to go to Exodus 34, 27 to 35, where this actually happens. For the sake of time, I won't read it, but I'll summarize it. This speaks of when Moses went up to Mount of Sinai and received the covenant. He received the law. He stayed up on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. When he returned from God, his face was shining visibly. That everyone, including Aaron and the rulers of the congregation, were afraid to come near him. God's glory was somehow transferred visibly to Moses' face temporarily. And he would cover his face from the people with a veil until he went back before God. Whenever he returned with a face which shined forth God's glory, he would cover it with a veil. Now, all that Paul is saying before verse 18 is this. That in the Old Testament, before Christ, Moses would go up as the representative. And he would engage with God. And then he would come down and then kind of engage with God's people. But you see, as you engage with God, there's, there's bits of his glory that stay with you. And yet the people, because of the hardness of their minds, and Paul extends this and he says, well, today it's the hardness of our hearts that we're not able to engage with the Lord. Because of the hardness of our hearts, we're, we're, we're struggling to, to see God for who He is. 
And so in a sense, this veil over our hearts needs to be removed so that we might engage with the glory of the Lord. And so he would come down from the mountain. This is Moses after engaging with, with the Lord, having fellowship with the Lord and try to engage with these folks. And it was just hardened. They were like, we're struggling to, to see and to understand. And so his face would have to be covered. Paul is using the veil here as a symbol to teach us something. The veil, the, the mask, if you will, which Moses wore is a symbol of the, the old covenant. That is the, the law, the Ten Commandments. With their call on us to live a perfect life before God. That is why they were given to us. To live a perfect life before God. And boy, did we stumble. In fact, we continue to stumble. Also, it is a symbol of our natural, typical response to the law, which is to try to obey it with our own strength, either to the point of convincing ourselves that we've achieved it, or to the point of giving up and just simply rebelling against it. That's what happens. God calls us to this standard, and on our own, we, just, we, we can't, can't measure up, we can't achieve it, we can't get to it. And we try, and we, we try, and we try, and we just fail. And we end up going, you know what, maybe I should just give up. But not recognizing that, no, hold on, there's a, there's a veil there that needs to be removed. There's a veil that needs to be removed. That, that that's why Christ came and died on the cross for us, to remove that, to go, hold on, I, I will do it. You can't do it, but I will do it. Trust in me. Look to me. I will accomplish what you cannot. And when that happens, we begin to engage with God. We begin to have fellowship with the Lord. We begin to experience His glory. But I want us to think about this for a moment. What Moses experienced on the mountain, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, what Moses experienced on the mountain is different to what we experience today. And this is because of Jesus. It's different in two ways. It's different in location, and it's different in duration. It's different in location and different in duration. Location is that on the mountain, under the old covenant, only Moses' face was glowing with the glory of the Lord. Only his face. But because of what Jesus has done, when we fellowship with the Lord, when we continue to grow in the Lord, our whole bodies shine with the glory of the Lord. It's a massive difference. A difference of location, but a difference of duration. The glory of the Lord on Moses' face faded. The text tells us this. It would fade, and so you'd have to go back up again, and then come down, and then it would fade, and then you'd go up again. Where for us, it is an ever-increasing glory. Paul writes in Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another. It is an ever-increasing glory. This is what Jesus has purchased for us. Now let's go back to this transformation. Recognizing that it cannot happen unless the veil is removed. It cannot happen until you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, until you've crossed the line of faith. There will always be a hardness in your heart that struggles to see God for who He is. And so we must trust Him. 
But then Paul says, because of our unveiled faith, something incredible happens. The transformation is a result of the unveiled faith. And so because of this transformation, we can lean into the perfect life of Jesus, who did keep all the commandments. Jesus' perfect death and resurrection gives us new life. As the old saints would say, we have died with Jesus and we are raised with Jesus to new life. Not only do we believe that, but we must live in light of that. This new life. That you're not just saved and then you're like, well, great, I've got my new identity in my pocket. I'm just going to hang out and wait for glorification. No, but you must begin to live this new life. This is the process of sanctification. Being made more and more like Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. Looking to his perfect life. The one that he lived here on earth. The same broken, the same uh, world that is filled with sin. Recognizing that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. We hold on to him as we seek to grow to become more and more like him. This is spiritual transformation. But how? Does Paul tell us how? We, we recognize that this is what we are called to, but, but how? How do I continue to grow in my relationship with Jesus? How do I become more and more like him? How, how do I make sure that I am not the same on air from last year? How do I make sure that next year I don't look back and go, gosh, I'm in the exact same place? How do I ensure that there is spiritual transformation happening in my life? Paul tells us, he says, by beholding the glory of the Lord. By beholding the glory of the Lord. The Christian Standard Bible says it this way. We are looking as in the mirror at the glory of the Lord. It's that you to look at the glory of the Lord. The NIV translation says we all contemplate, contemplate the Lord's glory. Paul is making the point that spiritual transformation happens as we continually contemplate, consider profoundly, Think deeply, observe intensely, behold a manifestation of the glory of the Lord. That one cannot just sit and wait. Just kind of hang back and be like, well, I'm all good, I got everything I need, I'll see you guys in heaven. But that we must behold, we must contemplate, we must observe deeply, consider profoundly the glory the glory of the Lord. We are called to behold it. I love this word, behold. Absolutely love it. It's a great English word. Why? Because we become what we behold. We portray what we perceive. How do you know, how do you know someone's a vegan? What, what was that? I'll tell you, all right? That's one way. I feel like I can make uh, vegan jokes because my, my younger brother's a vegan, and so it's in the family, so it's cool. It's totally cool. Don't freak out. I know some of you are like, how can he say that? Uh, it's all good. How do you know someone does CrossFit? 
we become what we behold. So not only are they telling you, but they're probably online looking at CrossFit videos, downloading competitions, registering for these competitions, training every day, going, listen, I need to be careful about what I eat, man. I'm training, I've got this competition. Your whole life begins to change and become this thing that you behold. Our Christmas lunches, family Christmas lunches, will never be the same again. Because now we have to sit and go, okay, so how do we make a vegan dessert? So can we use this? Can we not? Like it's, it's so consuming. It's taken over our lives. <laughs> you portray what you perceive. And so if you're saying, I want to become more and more like Christ, and yet are beholding something else, I think about that for a moment. No, I, I want to be like more, like, more like Jesus. I want to pray like him. Love like him. And yet you're holding on to academics. You're holding on to the pursuit of success. Holding on to relationships. Now those things aren't bad. But we must submit them to their rightful place. We behold Christ, the glory of Christ. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And then let everything else fall into place. And so as we look to Jesus, we see more and more of him, which reveals more and more of our sin. That's the crazy thing about how this works, this process of sanctification. As we look to the glory of the Lord, we actually recognize, wow, I'm not as patient as I thought I was. I'm not as forgiving as I thought I was. I'm not as joyful as I thought I was. I don't live in community as I, I thought I did. Because I'm looking to Christ as the example. I'm like, oh, so, so this is what it means as I see his glory. And, and I look at my own life. And it's almost like looking into a mirror and going, oh, wow. And recognizing my own sin and my own shortcomings. And then getting the opportunity to go, I need to turn away from that and turn back to him. Whatever I'm beholding that is not Christ, I need to let go of this thing and fix my gaze back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We become convicted with our sin. The sin that, that so easily entangles us. We look to Jesus so that we might live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. This is what spiritual transformation means. It means that you are becoming more and more like Christ here in this life. And if we want to be all in, we must be all in for our spiritual transformation. If we want to become more like him, if we want to begin to live more like him, serve like him, give like him, sacrifice like him, be willing to suffer like him, forgive like him, love like him, then we must behold the glory of the Lord. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for rooted fellowship? It means that if we are going to be faithful at this, then we need to enter into deeper relationships with one another. 
that there needs to be more accountability. As the Lord blesses this work and as, as more folks join and as we grow, it just becomes harder and harder to be like, well, man, I, I, I used to know what's going on over here, but now, I, man, it's over there, things are happening. And how, how? How will I stand before the Lord one day and say, God, we as a community, we pursued spiritual transformation. I believe the only way that we can do that is to introduce membership. I know some of y'all in your hearts, you're already going, whoa, whoa, remember what? (laughs) Membership. It's critical for us. It's it's our way of going, okay, listen, we, we need to be more accountable to one another. I need to enter in, into this agreement, this, this, this relationship with others to go, I need you to hold me accountable. A- and here are the things that I want you to hold me accountable to. We need to be that clear. Because I, I know my own heart. I know you know yours. Left on its own, it will manipulate every single system that is out there. It'll find a way to, to duck and dive, to change, to actually say, well, technically what happened was... And so you need those relationships around you that say, now hold on, uh, here's what Scripture says. Here's what Jesus says. You say you want to be like him. Well, this is what you ought to do. And I want to hold you accountable to it because I love you. Because I want to see this ever-increasing glory in your life. I want you to one day at the end of it all to stand before the Lord and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that for you. And I would hope that you want that for me. That we're not just hanging around and showing up on a Sunday and showing up during the week and opening up our Bibles and it's great and we're having good food and and then we go and we do whatever we want where we live, work, and play. But to know that you've got a band of brothers and sisters who are like, no, we love you, we're here for you. That you can open up that you can be vulnerable and transparent with us, and we will not judge you. What we will do is pick you up and go, hey, listen, behold the glory of the Lord. There is forgiveness in the glory of the Lord. There is grace in the glory of the Lord. Friends, we need membership if we're going to do this. And so we're going to be introducing membership over the next coming weeks. And how we're going to do it is if you go directly to the app, on there, there is membership. You can go in there, send an email, and just like, hey, guys, I'm interested in membership. I'm interested in stepping in and going, guys, I I want to be held accountable. I want to be in relationship. I want people to know what's going on in my life. I don't just want fans, but I need friends. And what will happen is one of the elders here will reach out to you and they'll organize a time where we'll get you guys, a small group of you in their living rooms and we'll just kind of unpack what this means. What does membership actually mean? What does it look like to hold one another accountable in one family? Because we're one family. We believe God's called us as a family to do everything that he wants us to do. But he's also called us to be a family as we grow spiritually. I don't want anyone to be left behind. I want all of us to see more and more of Christ as we await the day he returns and makes all things new. 
membership's going to help us to do that. Remember, if we want to live like Him, if we want to serve like Him, give like Him, sacrifice like Him, be willing to suffer like Him, that's not a fun one. That's one that I need you by my side helping me do. If we want to forgive like Him, if we want to love like Him, God says, look, I, I know it's going to be challenging, and so I'm going to pe- put people around you. I'm going to put some, some brothers and sisters around you as you grow spiritually to become more and more like my son. Paul wraps all of this up by saying this. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This should feel somewhat like a, a, a weight has been lifted off our shoulders because I feel it. This idea of of trying to keep all of us accountable and making sure folks are growing and folks aren't living in sin. Remember J.C. Riles' quote from last week that many of us fall inwardly long before you fall outwardly, but there's some of you sitting here living in sin. You show up, you smile, everything's great, but your whole life's falling apart. And so as I recognize that God's called us as a community to, to keep one another accountable and to point one another to Jesus, it's, it's overwhelming. But, but, but in this last, this last phrase here, man, it feels like the weight has been lifted off my shoulders. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is part of the good news. And that is that the unveiling of faces, the transforming from one degree of glory to the next is all a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily our job. Uh, Maybe another way to say it is that we don't possess the power to do all of this. We don't. Our job is to love, serve, and pray. To love, serve, and pray. Our job is to lean into the Holy Spirit. To posture our hearts in such a way that when the Holy Spirit says, let's go, we respond by, all right, guys, let's go. As he calls us to be ambassadors in this great city and beyond. You you might feel like, man, this is over. I feel it all the time. I walk out of here and I'm just like, this world is coming at me from all angles. Responsibilities, the challenges, the sin that is knocking on my door daily. Paul says, no, just lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. You love, you serve, and you pray. Lean into the power of the Holy Spirit because he's the one that does the work. Now, there are various ways for us to live in such a way, to live as we lean into the Holy Spirit and doing so in expectation. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. Doing so in expectation that he will in power and glory, do more than we could ever imagine as he transforms us to become more and more like Jesus. Friends, we need to live in expectation of that. This idea of spiritual transformation, that he is doing an incredible work in and through us. What does that look like? And we'll jump into that in the next three weeks, but one has to recognize that first my identity is in Christ. 
And that second, he is molding me and shaping me to become more and more like him. That I need to be growing in my relationship with him. That I cannot stay the same. That there is this ever-increasing glory that as I behold him, I become more and more like him. Only then, only then can we be all in for our spiritual transformation. And so in a sense, I'm inviting you to that. And it may not be here. Some of you, I know you may be sitting going, I'm on the fence. I'm not 100% sure if Rooted Fellowship is for me. Totally fine. But wherever you go, my hope is that you would be pursuing the spiritual transformation. Beholding the glory of the Lord. So that you might become more and more like Him. Let's pray. And so, Father, we, we come to you asking that you would do this very work. We come also recognizing, Lord, that that on our own, on our own, this, this, this is weighty, this is challenging, this is hard. And even if we try on our own strength, we'll get to that point where we go, you know what, it's not even worth it. For many of us, it, it, it may look like just going, you know what, I, maybe I don't need this community and so I'm going to do this on my own. For some of us, it might be, well, I'm just going to give up trying to fight this particular sin in a I'm just going to live in it. I'm going to live in the guilt. I'm going to live in the shame. But God, I'm crying out to you that, that the posture of our hearts would be that, that we would lean into the Holy Spirit, lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. That in a sense, what we're crying out is that, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come into this place? Would you come into this moment? Would you come into our hearts? That would you fill us up? That we would live in expectation of the great work that you will do in and through us. That our lives would begin to look radically different. That we would find more joy. That we would see more of your grace. that all of it would lead to living lives that are pleasing to you. That as a community, we want everything that we do to be a sweet fragrance to you. That it would give you glory. And so Holy Spirit, would you do this work? Holy Spirit, not only do you save you also sanctify. Not only do you get us to cross over to become children of the kingdom, but you remind us daily of who we are as we behold the glory of the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.